Greetings, friends, and thanks for joining us at I'm Frickin' Lonely. How about you? Staying connected in the time of COVID. We're here in my garage studio in Princeton, New Jersey, and as ever, I'm your host, Sheila Nall. If you've joined us before, hopefully you've enjoyed people's stories about how they've adapted their lives during the pandemic, and maybe you've even been inspired by their resilience. After all, these past two years have been a bit of a kick in the teeth for so many people. Each guest has had such a unique journey and story to tell. I know I continue to learn a lot. This week, we're continuing our theme of exploring the particular impact the pandemic has had on community service organizations and providers. The past two episodes, our guests talked about the impact of services provided by the YMCA to local families and students at risk of falling behind due to chronic absenteeism. This week, I'm treading new waters because I have three guests, a first for me. First, I am pleased to welcome Mark Warren, Director of Operations at the Father Center of New Jersey in Trenton. Mark is also an ordained minister at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Burlington, New Jersey, one of the many things I didn't know about Mark. I met Mark when the Father Center was planning to relocate its offices in downtown Trenton. I was fortunate to be involved in the project, assisting with the design, and especially lucky to have met Mark. He led the project with enthusiasm and a steady hand. He's also the father of five girls, so I guess that skill set came in handy. (laughs) With Mark today, we also welcome Randall Toby, Program Projects Coordinator, and he's responsible for their Bridges to Success program and community outreach. Also with us is Carter Patterson, Director of Programs at the Father Center. Welcome, gents, and thanks for joining us today, and I look forward to learning more about each of you and your work at the Father Center. So, Mark, you want to start a little background for us? Yes, i um, very excited to be here. Thank you, Sheila, for inviting us. Um, I met Sheila several years ago when we were moving our office from 4 North Broad Street. That was to, pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Like yes. right at the end of 2019? Yes, <laughs> so. right before. Ancient history. And I was introduced to her by Steve Silverman, uh, one of our board members. Um, she came highly recommended, and I must say it was a pleasure uh, working with her, getting to know her, and she did it pro bono. She didn't ask for anything, and that's one of the things that I love most about her. Um, is her giving. And so uh, I am certainly excited to be here today to do the podcast um, and to talk to my friend Sheila. Thanks. Well, I'm so glad you're here, Mark, and that you agreed to do this and that you brought Randall and and Carter with you. So, Carter, you want to go? Hey, Sheila. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my name is Carter. I am the Director of Programs at the Father Center of New Jersey. And a little about me, I'm a Proud father of four very beautiful children, um, Afari, my engineer, um, Summer, um, my bunny bunny, who we call her bunny bunny, <laughs> Noah, my baby boy, and then Amara, um, who is 11 years old, we consider her the baby. <sighs> okay, what else can I say? I'm a, a lifelong nonprofit guy. You know, I started off um, as a pre-kindergarten teacher 100 years ago, and now here I am at the Father Center. I definitely do not believe I am here by an accident. I'm here because I definitely have a deep passion and just a sincere love of helping people. So, oh, and then I also like cake better than I like pie. I thought that was interesting. I'll throw that in there. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. Yes. Well, I thought it was cool that you described when, you know, you're, you asked your kids, what do I do? They said, Daddy helps people. Yes. That's something to be very proud of. So, Randall, what about you? Well, first of all, it's an honor and pleasure to be here. I'm a native New Yorker. 
Brooklyn is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I worked, moved out here from South Jersey, I mean from New York City about in 2010, and just love the area. Being part of the Father Center is truly a blessing. My background is sales and marketing. Over 20 years working at American Express at 40 Wall Street, Verizon Wireless, and several other Fortune 500 organizations. But my passion has always been being a blessing to someone else. And work with these two gentlemen has been really a joy. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So um, you had mentioned also somehow that you were working with folks who had been in prison. And how did that lead you to the Father Center? That's a great question. Being in sales and marketing, I never really thought about the nonprofit area. However, in New York City, a friend introduced me to an organization that worked with returning citizens. For, for the first year, I worked as a job developer, helping the men and women to get jobs that came back from Rikers Island, Sing Sing, oh. and I realized how the system was set up for them to fail. I then became a trainer, did the workshops, and I said I would dedicate the rest of my life to making a difference. And it's been a joy and a pleasure, and the Father Center is really a unique organization, and I believe all our skill sets really are going to have a tremendous impact on New Jersey. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Alice, so let's focus on the Father Center and the services that, that you provide. Maybe give us a little broad overview of how you impact the community and, and help, particularly men, I guess, right? Yes. I mean, it's the Father Center, so. So I'll defer to uh, the Director of Programs, Carter Patterson, and Programs and Project Coordinator, okay. so Randall Toby. <laughs> <laughs> So how do we help men meet the responsibilities of fatherhood, which is our actual mission? We do that in a variety of different ways. We, well, one that I would like to share with you, Sheila, and my coworkers and friends already know this about me. When every person, when every man comes to the Father Center, we like to do what I call wrap a warm blanket around that Oh, person, I love that. Right? And so that warm blanket is our philosophical approach to how we engage men and fathers. Uh, Oftentimes, men who are navigating the social service system, they just run into a brick wall. And a lot of times they lose their dignity um, and they just don't feel respected as men. And so we provide a safe space for them. We provide a sanctuary for them. We provide workforce development activities. We provide parenting classes. We provide anger management classes. But most importantly... Oh, wow, yeah, that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And most importantly, it's that warm blanket. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, um, manhood and fatherhood only gets expressed as a provision, right? And a lot of times, men need a voice, right? Mm -hmm. We We can be nurturing, compassionate caregivers, but a lot of times that's not the popular image of what fatherhood is put out there, right? Mm -hmm. What's put out there is that, oh, you need to bring home the bacon and be the resource provider. But guess what? Sometimes I cry, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that affectionately because my brother Mark is a tough guy. I've seen your tears. (laughs) Sometimes I cry. And, And then also giving permission for men to be able to express that that type of vulnerability is what I believe why the Father Center exists. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people grow up, and I include women in this, without appropriate role models. And, um, <laughs> you know, and that's tough to know. You know, if you don't see it, how do you be it? Yes. Right. And, and, and when we talk about role models, it's either positive or negative. Mm-hmm. You know, and we try to be positive role models. 
of course, we've all gone through our different difficulties in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, for me, there was always someone there to, to help me process the difficult times. There was always, like, my, my father was, was a very important part of my life. My uncles were a very important uh, part of my life. Uh, male cousins. I come from a large family. Mm-hmm. My father, as I share with Carter on a number of occasions, my father was the toughest man that I ever knew. But he was also the sweetest man and softest man because outside of the house, he was tough. Mm-hmm. Like I got a was, chance to meet him once. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was, he was that guy. Uh-huh. But he always worked. He always provided for his family. Inside of the house, we could you know, jump on his back. He give us pony rides. He, I mean, just a, just a great, great man and a great role model for me and my brother and my sister. And so I'm very fortunate to have or have had a father. Uh, he since passed away, but to have that type of man in my life and then my uncles, you know, very tough men who could fight, who taught me how to fight, you know, but didn't want me to fight. Because mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't necessary. You don't have to pick a fight. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you provide those kinds, that kind of guidance then through the various programs that you offer there at the Father Center. So, how do people find the Father Center? How how do they know that you're there? And 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 how do you do outreach? So I guess it's it's a two way street. You mm-hmm. let people know that you're there, and these are the services that you offer. How do they find you? And how do you find them? So there's various ways. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the one way, and then we'll let Rand, because uh, he he is our outreach person. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways is through our WIB program, which is Workforce Investment Board. They come through social services, and they are required to do a work program consisting of job readiness, training, helping to navigate the job market, and Rand will talk more about the Bridges to Success program mm-hmm. to help them to get back on their feet. So they are required to come to a work program, and we happen to be one of those work programs. And okay. then there's other various ways. Yeah, so did you want to expand on that then, Randall? Sure, absolutely. I think one thing about us that's unique is we don't wait for the men to come to us. Mm-hmm. We go to where they are. Good. Cool. We have relationships with a variety of churches. We go into prisons. We go into colleges and schools and like-minded organizations. We also have partners in the state and government that send clients to us that might be mandated to come. And that's great because now they have a place they can be. As far as the trainings are concerned, the nationally certified trainings are amazing. Yeah, I wanted to hear about that national certification. How do you get that? It's completely free. So Mm -hmm. a man can just come to us, enroll in our program. So let's give you an example. If a gentleman wanted to get into the restaurant industry, he could be certified for SurfSafe, which is a program for an hour and a half or two-hour class done online. He now can work in the front of the house or back of the house, and that lasts for three years with that certification. Wow. We have men that want to be in a maintenance field, or they want to be in a um, construction. So we also offer the OSHA 10 as well as the OSHA 30. Again, an online 10-hour class, and you could do it at your own leisure. One of our most popular programs is our forklift operator certification. And right now, as you know, in New Jersey, there's an explosion in warehouses. So, gentlemen, if you need that certification, come see us. Yeah, that looks like fun, actually. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, the company I used to work for, KSS, they designed a lot of distribution centers. So, you know, mm. knowing the path that a fork, forklift would take is mm. part, of, part of the design process Absolutely. there. Absolutely. That's, that's really wonderful that you offer those things. It's so interesting that, that you know, they can be a requirement for folks to come to you, but that you go out and, and seek them out as well. So was that the Bridges to Success that's the Bridges to Success program, yes. Okay. And um, so what other programs do you offer folks that, that come into you? I know that you, you have sort of addressed this for, for success kind of a mm-hmm. thing that you offer there, as well as resume writing. And I know we set up a computer lab, essentially, yes. there at, at the space. So talk a little bit more just sort of about a general, all of the different things that people can find when they come there and support system that you offer. Yeah, so one of the things we have is our Dress to Impress area, which has been remodeled. California Closets came in pro bono and um, outfitted our Dress to Impress area. That has really made an impact. And that's just one of the things that I'll talk about because programs is uh, Carter's area. So mm-hmm. I'll have him talk about the program. So the program, one of the programs that I wanted to, <clears throat> that I'm most excited about is obviously Operation Fatherhood, right? So Operation Fatherhood is funded um, by the Office of Child Support Services through the state of New Jersey. Oh, okay. Right? They're our largest funder. Um, and we provide case management services for the men, right? And remember what we, what we referenced before when we first started our conversation is that we like to wrap a warm blanket around them. Mm-hmm. So the, the case management process is very intentional about building trust and rapport in, that, in the beginning stages of that case management relationship because usually what happens is that that case manager develops um, a professional relationship with that client that usually lasts three months, depending upon the skill set that they're trying to target. But then the client service specialists do follow up three months, six months, nine months, and then a year after they've completed their programming. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is this follow along, lead along, follow up and follow through with our warm blanket approach um, in regards to how we do programming at the Father Center of New Jersey. Moving forward, um, you know, Rand spoke about the Bridges to Success program, which, you know, offers most of all any man who comes through our door, you know, entry level, high level, nationally level, nationally recognized certifications. We also do an anger management class, um, which is done virtually, which I thought was very interesting. You know, pre-pandemic, you know, most of our classes, our workshops and our in-person seminars, we had to switch to virtual. Mm-hmm. And so specifically our anger management class went virtual and we are now in our eighth cohort of a virtual anger management series, which is just amazing. We have gotten almost a hundred guys through anger management classes virtually from the start of the pandemic to date. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I can't say how proud I am about the staff who really kind of rallied around to be able to deliver that specific program in a virtual format because it takes more than just doing it in front of a video camera. You have to change the service delivery. You have to change the the rubric. You have to change the lesson plan. You just have to change everything about the curriculum and then how it gets developed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, 
a, you know, a big hats off to the staff who really kind of rallied around and made those adjustments to make the anger management virtual series made it a success. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was, um, you know, since this is sort of focus on pandemic, you know, how did that impact your, your client base? And do you refer to them as clients? Yes, yeah, So your client base, you know, they no longer had the ability to come to you. You know, how, how did they access the resources or, for example, the anger management classes? How did, uh, again, talking about outreach, yes, how did they yes. know about them? How did they know how to access them? Mm-hmm. And, and all the programs then had to, I guess, become virtual. You know, yes. we were building the space, but mm-hmm. it sort of was empty and it yes. took a long time and there weren't people coming. It was in a good way for the right. construction project. It, mm-hmm. well, there was no rush. Um, right. You know, how, how did you guys manage that? Because you had talked about you had to just be creative. So we were able to maintain our contract levels through in spite of the pandemic. And one of the ways that we were able to do it was that we realized that the way that we did street outreach in the past no longer existed through the pandemic. The street corner and the street outreach became our social media feed, right? And so the outreach began to be targeted and focused on putting information into that digital space, right? So we at the Father Center of New Jersey, we had, we're represented across all of the social media platforms, Twitter, um, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay. So with that in mind, we used those social media platforms as a way to do outreach to our guys, right? Because again, nobody was walking outside during the pandemic. What was happening is that they were watching their social media feed. Mm-hmm. And if when we were able to put information about our programs and service in that social media space, we were able to get referrals, right? Mm-hmm. And then also another thing comes to mind when I'm thinking about my staff meetings, um, the many meetings that I've had with my staff, and that is strategic partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Strategic partnership was really important because what was happening is that there were other organizations who had things in place. They had systems in place that they were able to deliver care packages to people during the pandemic that we just kind of partnered with them. You know, we didn't necessarily have to create this extensive network because, for example, the why, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. already had this distribution point of people that the people were aware of this specific point. They were at Columbus Park. And so we kind of used them and used that strategic point to kind of also share information about our programs and services. Mm-hmm. Right. So strategic partnership. That's really, really um, smart. <laughs> and then making sure that all of the client service specialists were very intentional in becoming a part of these virtual learning communities Mm -hmm. because everybody went virtual and then everybody went to Zoom. And what was happening is that people still had individuals that was patronizing in their organizations. So what was happening, we had to uncover the men that were still in contact with their case managers at our partner organizations. So at every virtual meeting, we put our name and email address in the screen so that people automatically knew, hey, you can contact Bill Davis at the Father Center to get help with your dads who may be looking for information that they feel kind of disconnected because they're out there, but they can still use the phone, right? We also turned our phone line into a hotline, right? So instead of it functioning like a normal phone, right, it functioned 
as a hotline and it was a way to kind of ring our client service specialist and for those individuals who had that need, right? And then we also developed kiosks, right? Mobile kiosks, right? So what was happening is it's basically like it's an iPad on a metal stand and we had a home screen. Um, in that home screen, we use check-in software so that we can put these kiosks at our community partner site so that the individuals can request services without any of our staff being on site. Mm -hmm. you know? So it was so everything went virtual. We went to strategic partnerships, and we really depended upon our social media to kind of reach the men we provide services for. Wow, yeah. that's um, impressive. And you talk about your staff. So, so what? all are your staff. I mean, that sounds like a lot of people. I mean, that sounds right. like exactly. also no. a lot of really brilliant people or, yes, or yes, a yes. small group of really, really brilliant people. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, we yeah. have yeah. Um, yes. about uh, the 17 employees now. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, we did have a turnaround. We added job titles uh, and filled it with people. Um, for those job titles. And so we are a small organization with a large impact. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I will, will say is that we're mighty, um, mighty. Yeah, <laughs> we don't call the uh, clients clients. We call them participants. Okay. Because they participate in their success. There you go. And that's why we I call them participants yeah. um, instead of clients. Because yeah, they're not just feeding them services. They are no, they're they, engaged. They, they, it's, it's full they engagement. Have to be engaged. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. They're human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And one of our newest newest employees that has uh, has done a phenomenal job is Mr. Randall Toby. Mm -hmm. As Rand said, um, he came in as a contractor. And when we were looking to fill the position of program projects coordinator. Carter and I got together and said, yo, we, we, we have to offer Rand this position. Um, Rand kind of kept us in delay for a couple minutes until I said, look, man, you're going to stop playing. The job <laughs> is yours. You're going to start, you know, this this date, stop playing. And he stopped playing. <laughs> nice to be needed and pursued, right? Yeah, but I mean, I, but because I just saw that passion in him. But, but I want to just piggyback off what Mark had said. Um, one thing, Sheila, about it that makes our whole organization so incredibly successful is because of upper management. There are very few organizations that are, are as flexible as they are that allow each staff member to have ideas, to implement those ideas and don't question you. Oh, you're empowering and, uh, your people. <laughs> yeah, and then they support it by, you know, taking some of those funds if it's a good idea that can be effective and they're willing to, to allow us to have that flexibility. So me being an entrepreneur and very creative, mm -hmm. it ended up being a, a much better fit than I thought it would be. That's great. So how is the Father Center funded? What gives you guys the freedom to really pursue your passion? Wow. So there's various ways um, that we are funded. We are funded by DFD, which is our largest contributor contract. Then we are funded by uh, Work First New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, which is the WIP program that I um, talked about. There are private donations. There are corporate donations. One of the things that I will say is that during the pandemic, we were very blessed to be able to continue the work that we were doing because people saw the value in what we were doing, and our revenue actually increased 
as we were going through the pandemic because people are really starting to understand that there is a need, especially in Philadelphia, you know, because of the killings in Philadelphia. And most of those killings are done by teenage boys, Mm -hmm. you know, and so... Some of which are fathers. Some some of which are fathers. So you're having fathers that are doing the killings and fathers that are being killed. Mm -hmm. And so we can't always blame, you know, what is the government doing? What, what is the household doing to Mm -hmm. prevent this? And as you look, most of the households don't have a father figure or don't have a positive role model Mm -hmm. um, in the home to, to steer our youth away from this kind of violence and, you know, instead of talking it out, I'd rather shoot it out, mm-hmm. you know. And there was there was a very poignant picture that I saw one time um, a friend of mine sent to me. It was a picture of an operating room with bloody bandages. The floor was full of blood, blood everywhere. And the caption was, this is what you don't see when someone gets shot. Mm-hmm. And so it really stuck stuck with me that, you know, there there was a great need, not not just in Philadelphia, but all over in Trenton, Mercer County, Burlington County. We just had a shooting in small Burlington City a couple of days ago. And so it's 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 really needed. So mm-hmm. you know, it's fatherhood work. It's really phenomenal what you do and it is really needed. And you know, we, we live in a country with a gun culture already. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's just exacerbated by, you know, not having role models or being in situations without hope, perhaps. And, you know, I would think that what you do also helps to bring hope to people because you give them the tools and the mechanisms by which to realize what is possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So that's, those are the things... um, you know, the funders that fund us uh, allow us to do this kind of work to help those kind of situations. So, you know, we're very blessed to have uh, people in our corner. Uh, of course, we have a board that provides resources for us, other private donors. We do fundraising, which is our Platinum Dads event, which is one of our biggest fundraisers, That's which coming is coming up in up June. In June. <laughs> yeah, 18th, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always the uh, Father's Day weekend, that Saturday before Father's Day, uh, so that's uh, going to be coming up, so uh, various um, funding sources that allow us to do the work that we do. How many participants do you have at any given time? Right now, currently in for our 2022 year, we have 172 active clients. Wow. And so what that means, Sheila, is that, you know, they, the client service specialists, you know, they start working with people. They have a, a client goal. They have to work with and get 10 new intakes per month. Mm. Um, so what's happening over the past several uh, months, you know, we 
there's there's some guys that they just kind of hang around and they still need more help than others. Right? Uh-huh. So we constantly have an active group of men that we're always working with. Right. Mm-hmm. But right now, um, there's 172 guys, and You're I know they're kind of home away from home. Yes, yes, yes. Except I, blanket. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> we all love right? a warm blanket. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think Maya Angelou said it the best, and is that people will always remember. They might not remember your face, but they will always remember the way you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I may not know this gentleman. I may not know Randall, but I know he makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> So it's how we make people feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we, we get story. back in spades, too. Yes. You know, we really do. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so Carter would always use the warm blanket in our meetings and always say we wrap a warm blanket around them. And I was so sick of that saying, <laughs> like a warm blanket. So the question I asked, well, what do we do in the summer when it's hot outside? <laughs> But the more he says it, the more I gravitate to it because it's real. We do wrap a warm blanket because anytime you're cold, what do you want? To be warm. Mm -hmm. And when you're sitting in your home, you wrap a, a warm blanket around you to stay warm. Warmth means security. Mm-hmm. And so the more he says it, the more I'm like, okay, I can tolerate it now. <laughs> but yeah, Carter, Carter came up with that concept of wrapping a warm blanket around, and that's what we do. And like I said earlier, not just for those that are in financial need or you know need extra help to overcome barriers, but fathers who are able to wrap a warm blanket around themselves, but also need someone to sit with them while they're in that warm blanket to be more secure in, you know, understanding that what they're doing is right and, you know, if they need to talk. So the door is open for any any father, any male um, to come and uh, use our services. Well, that's really wonderful because if you feel alone, you know, you have a problem and you feel alone, that's when you despair. Mm-hmm. And um, desperation or leads to, yes. you know, all kinds of things, yes. acting out, mm-hmm. mental health issues, mm-hmm. not knowing where to turn. Yeah. It, that's a bad place. Yes. You and know? Sheila, I just want to add one additional thing. Please, we yeah. as men being a man, we don't like to ask for help. Oh, and I believe the approach yeah. by the organization as well as the management team's direction allows the men to come in in a safe space and not be ashamed of asking for help. Because it's men helping men, mm-hmm. although there are women on your staff too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. So uh, do you also get involved with the families and, um, you know, have you met their kids or met their wives or, you know, of, of your participants so that you know sort of the broader impact of the services that you're providing? So that is really important, you know, we are the father center of New Jersey, but we, um, what we do, we provide programs and services for any individual who identifies as a father. So, as a father, you know, as the director of programs, any individual who comes through our door, if they identify 
as a father figure, we provide services for them, right? So I think that that is very important when we start to think about how society um, has changed and how society is constantly evolving and people define themselves in different ways. We also have to be able to provide services for those individuals who say to their family and to their loved ones, I am a father, I am a father figure. I might not have been born a biological male, uh-huh. but I am a father figure, right? Mm-hmm. And so because of the nature of our work, we have to accept that. And when people come in, we provide services for them. You know, no discrimination. Oh, yeah. so fascinating. Uh, yeah. Never even, well, should have, but didn't cross my mind <laughs> to ask no, that question. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's something that, that, that we thought about in our um, strategic planning and even incorporating that into our mission statement where it's, anyone that identifies as a father, you know, that we, we would provide services for because, you know, society has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just man and woman. It's, you know, woman, woman, man, man. It's, you know, and we, we don't discriminate. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they all have a right to have children, you know, and, and to be, right. be parents. Yes. Yeah. You know, because yes. that's really... You know, a huge source of a source of joy, and then also a source of uh, a sense of I did this, but this is my responsibility now, and it actually makes your life fuller mm-hmm. and yeah. gives you a sense of purpose right. and reason. Raison d'être, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so that's really cool. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and it kind of circles back to what we talked about earlier, and it may have been before I was recording. Because um, <laughs> you said that you are a police chaplain, yes, and in so doing, then you minister to prisoners, or no, no? So, or to police. So what happens is, uh, being a police chaplain is um, one of the uh, joys of my life um, because it brings me in contact with different families mm-hmm. who have had a tragic event in their life. So usually, what happens is. Got it. If a family member passes away in the home or someone gets murdered or the chaplain comes in to try to provide grief support, uh, also provide grief support to the uh, police departments. I am a uh, Burlington City police chaplain. And so being able to provide that emotional support, that spiritual support, a lot of the times you find that when something tragic happens in a family, the police uh, ask the family, would you like a chaplain? Mm-hmm. And they always say yes. Uh-huh. They always say yes. I've, I've been on various uh, crime scenes. Um, the most difficult one that I went to was uh, on a Sunday morning, um, a Army veteran couldn't take the pain anymore. And so got up in the morning, walked outside with his, uh, with his army helmet on and blew his brains out with a shotgun in front of his wife. Mm. The reason why he put the helmet on is because he didn't want the brain splatter to go all over the place. Oh, my God. And he did it in front of his wife. And so that was very difficult. Um, but, you know, you have to look past that and try to provide uh, support for the family so that's one of the things that I'm most proud of mm-hmm. you know and being a 
public servant. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic on not just their ability to access the services, but just the broader, on, on your participants, the broader impact of sort of being cut off. What Have you seen any particular aspects of how the pandemic has, has impacted your cl- or your clients and participants that um, have they felt more isolated and unable to access the things they need to or you've well, been able to support them through that in a way? Well, I, I speak from what I used to do and then you can go into the other part because I think that that was the most difficult. So when I started with the Father Center, I was the program manager of the Work First New Jersey Department. And when the pandemic hit, now, one thing about Work, Work First New Jersey, the program that we run is called uh, Supportive Work. And it's through social services. Men apply for social services. They have to go through a work program. And we were one of the agencies that they were assigned to. It was difficult getting them there pre-pandemic. After the pandemic um, or during the pandemic, when it was stated that no one had to uh, look for work, it made it more difficult for us to do our job because it was difficult when they were mandated to come and then when they were told they were not mandated to come and that they were going to receive payment anyway, Mm -hmm. it was very difficult. Um, and so essentially what happened was the state, all the states suspended the work first programs, whether it was in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. And so all of the services were suspended mm-hmm. or the, the, the funding was suspended. I was able to maintain employment at the Father Center because I actually took over the Bridges to Success program before I got into my current role. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that perspective, from that program, it was very difficult. Um, But I can, I mean, that's clear why. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very difficult. Like you would, you would call the participants. They wouldn't answer. You, you try to set stuff up with them. They wouldn't answer because now they didn't have to, Mm -hmm. you know, they were, given, let's say, a free ride. But we were still able to um, sustain the Father Center because, as I said earlier, uh, we were still being funded through DFD. And I'll turn it over to Carter to let him talk talk about that portion of it because Carter was the program manager for fatherhood. I was the program manager for Work First New Jersey as it relates to our roles at the Father Center. So... What happened with us, it was, um, it was difficult, you know, it was challenging, it was difficult, it was a little scary. Um, one of the biggest things that I'm still trying to wrap my head around was um, not only with our staff, but what I saw with some of our community partners with this thing that they're calling the great resignation, right? Mm, right, Where yeah. You had a lot of individuals who just chose to leave their jobs. They chose to leave their jobs because they were getting their income supplemented by, you know, some sort of government program. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was is that you have a whole lot of open positions, 
and then not a lot of bodies to fill them. But then there was still a need to be able to pay rent and utilities. So I still I'm still trying to understand, like, well, what happened with this great resignation? Because you still have to have some sort of viable income. We've been wondering that, too. Yeah. <laughs> to we see able, all these help wanted signs. Right. Like, oh my gosh. To be able um, to take care of yourself. So I thought that that um, was a very interesting aspect of, of the pandemic and like how um, we responded to it, and then how the clients responded to it. As an organization, I've definitely felt the blow of trying to understand how to provide the best support for the employees. Because just like Mark referenced, we did lose some people in this process. And I believe that it was, there was, it was a perfect storm, like where the individual didn't rise to the challenge, the organization didn't realize what this person needed, and then we both failed each other, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a failure of planning. There's a, a mismanagement. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that kind of happened throughout the pandemic to, along with the great resignation and understanding how to properly support people through something that nobody was ready for. We well, weren't prepared yeah, it was for, a challenge everybody right? had to face and didn't know how. Exactly. I mean, it was new. Exactly. You know? And one of the things that I just wanted to kind of bring up, one of the uh, point was that people almost, they acted as if Zoom and these other video conferencing software and platforms was new. It was not new. This was technology that we had lived with for 10 years, but now through the pandemic, we were forced to use it. And so now everybody was like, hey, this Zoom is great. Hey, we had Zoom 10 years ago. We just never chose to use it. So mm-hmm. I thought that was an also, also an interesting aspect of what happened during the pandemic that we all, not only the staff, but then our clients and participants as well, everybody got accustomed to using video conferencing platforms, which is amazing. You know, you start to, you have some individuals who come to our program and they have struggled typing and finding the letters on the keyboard, and now they're able to log into a Zoom conference. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of different things that kind of happened through the pandemic. It's some things that I'm still trying to understand. A lot of learning went on. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. That's the upside, I guess. Absolutely, very demanding on on a lot of people and and even having the technology you know mm-hmm. it's also a struggle for some and they didn't have the the tools and the resources to have the technology i learned that from the gentleman from the y about uh, kids suffering from absenteeism you know, yes. and not, yes. not having the tools they needed learning to do it and then making sure they turned on their right. cameras or got out of bed you yes. know yes. So. Yes. and then etiquette was a really big thing. I know my youngest daughter, you know, they had issues with parents, you know, using inappropriate language while the children were on session, you know, parents just being inappropriate (laughs) in the background. So it was a whole plethora of things that was (laughs) happening throughout the pandemic that, um, again, I'm still trying to understand. Yeah, Yeah, well, it looks like we're on our way out of it. Um, So what's the prognosis for the Father Center going forward? And do you have any new programs or just going to try to bolster the ones that you have? Things that are working? Well, what works for us is absolutely the hybridized approach to our programming. Making sure that not only we provide in-person programming, but we also have that hybrid option, that virtual option. Also providing virtual training, 20 hours per month, 
You know, I'm very proud about that because, again, we started um, about a year or so ago. And so we're doing things like providing virtual information sessions. Anger management is virtual. Our parenting class is virtual. And then also there's a piece of a Bridges to Success program, which we provide technical assistance for the gentlemen who do choose to do the online programs. So we have our tech instructor that is able to help them and puts them, like kind of gives them some help during, um, I think it's on Fridays we have our technical assistance, you know. So being able to look at the work and then we changed it to make it so that we have this virtual option was something that we started during the pandemic and something that we're going to maintain, you know, it's something that it's not going to leave us now. Yeah. We're always looking at new approaches to do things, looking at new programming. Um, that's what Mr. Toby's job is to come up with new ideas to get us throughout the state of New Jersey and not just in Mercer and Burlington County. So we have these things, uh, Sheila, called media players, right, which it literally looks like a giant cell phone. Mm -hmm. And on those media players that looks like a giant cell phone, we have our Bridges to Success commercial. We have information about our programs and services uh, through the Father Center of New Jersey that's displayed and then looped on these media, media players. So, so that is another way that we're constantly have a visual presence out there in the community. Because people get excited about stuff like that. And they no other nonprofit organization is represented in that way. So I would like to say we're the first to use media players as a way to do outreach. You know? That's really wonderful. That's and it. the things that you do require psychology, knowledge of psychology and technology and all of those things. And, and, and business acumen and all of those kinds of things. Of and to find that mm-hmm. under one Ruth is pretty amazing. How do you guys measure success with uh, with a participant? So when they get employed, right? When they're back as uh, vital members of their family, whether they whether it's uh, mother and father living in the home or just mother and father taking care of their uh, child. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we measure impact. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other measures that that we have to go by. Um, for funders, mm-hmm. but that's how we, mm-hmm. in, in a nutshell, measure success. Mm-hmm. And also, also, I just want to add, Sheila, we're putting together a, a feedback form or survey for our clients, not so much to give to our funders, but to let us know in-house what are the things they're getting, what would they like to see, what are we missing, mm-hmm. and that gives us a better chance to have a touch point to where the men are. That's great, because uh, I'm sure that you have a lot of fans out there, people that just are grateful that you exist, yeah. you know, that, that you're a resource they can go to. But, you know, to have them express to you, one, you know, how, how they're feeling success. In their own words. But the other things that they need. Mm-hmm. And to feel like they can tell you that, you know, it's, yeah. and, and that you'll, you'll listen and, and respond is, is really cool. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I just wanted to kind of add to what Mr. Toby was mentioning about, um, measures of success, the Bridges to Success program absolutely is successful. How do we know that? Because, you know, pre-pandemic, we start to look at the individuals who've come through the program, and once they've completed their online certifications, and then they go to the actual employer, we have found that those men have made $5.40 
above minimum wage because they've gotten those certifications, Ugh. right? And so when we talk about Fantastic. the Bridges to Success certifications or, and we're talking about like the, the highest the, the highest yielding and grossing employer in this area. So in the Mercer, Mercer County, Burlington, Middlesex area, there are a little over 300 active warehouses in this area. So when you talk about psychology and kind of designing like what works the best for our guys for Bridges to Success, we were saying, you know what? A forklift certification, right? A forklift certification would allow that gentleman, if the difference to like if you went through a temp agency and you go there with nothing, they give you nine bucks an hour. Well, after going through Bridges to Success and getting a few certifications, you can make up 18 to 20 bucks an hour. Just because you spent a few hours with us, you, we wrapped a warm blanket around you, <laughs> right? We wrapped a warm blanket around you. You're feeling really good. And then when you go to the employer, you have a certification that has teeth, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you could walk away that has value. Because a lot of times people go to these fatherhood and these parenting programs and like you get a parenting certificate. Oh, that's nice, Mr. Warren. You got a parenting certificate. But again, we want to be able for, to have men walk away to something that has teeth. Right. Something that they can use in the real world. And what Rand was referencing about nationally recognized certifications, they could take that OSHA certification. They could take that serve certification. They could take it to any state in the United States of America because it's nationally recognized. Right. And that was the value of the kinds of things that we do at the Father Center. You know, and it's also yeah. something they, they can take pride in. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, and it gives them, right. you know, back to, I think, one of the earlier things you were talking about, that, that self-respect. One thing I want to add on, Sheila, we're very excited about is toward the end of the year, we've been selected to do the statewide fatherhood conference being held on November 3rd. So for your listeners that are out there, you can find the information on our website. We're going to have men come from all of the state together to talk about the most important things when it comes to being a dad. And it's a great way for men to come together, to network, to break bread, and to be able to talk about those issues in our community that fathers face and what we deal with on a regular basis. And again, that's November 3rd, 2022. We hope to see you there. Boom. Oh. <laughs> that sounds like a closing thought. So, <laughs> anything else you uh, gents would like to share before we sign off and say hasta la vista? I would just like to say thank you for allowing us to talk about the organization. We hope that our listeners, whether you're a woman that has a brother, a cousin, or a friend, you refer them to us because we help all dads. And we're here to make a difference. And we consider ourselves to be hope dealers, to bring you know some some warmth where there's because we have the warm blanket approach. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had any final thought, I just would like to share with everyone that the work that we do, we don't necessarily want to be right. We want to be effective. That's it. Fantastic. Now, this was uh, great. I thank you so much for inviting us. This was amazing. Um, I hope to do it again, <laughs> you know, um, whenever you want us to come back, we'll be more than happy to come back and, uh, you know, just want to make sure that, you know, your listeners know that there is a place for them. If you're a father, if you're a male and you need support, the Father Center of New Jersey is always here to help you at 1 West State Street in Trenton, New Jersey and our satellite office in Burlington, New Jersey at 17 West Broad Street. Mm. Be happy to um, help you in whatever you need. So thank you so much for allowing us this platform. 
Well, that's fantastic. And thanks to all three of you for joining me today in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) A cool garage, by the way. And, uh, you know, share the link with everybody that you know. Absolutely. Definitely. With that, thanks for listening as ever. And until next time, stay connected. Thank you.